ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Part two of, of the episode. We're talking about the rest of the teams in the group stages still, some of which, majority of which at this point, have already advanced slash been eliminated. So this time around, we're going to start with Group E. I know we started with Group A in the last podcast and basically went alphabetical from there, but we have to start with Group E because Group E finished today. All of the matches in the group stages are, of course, done in Group E. But this might have been, from like a minute-by-minute play, one of the wildest final match days in a group stage of the World Cup in the last two decades. Like, I, I, I think back to maybe 2002 when it might have been just as crazy. But, like, Rion, Japan topping the group with two wins, so six points, and Spain going through in second, Germany knocked out, and Costa Rica finishing in last. Um, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? What happened? Like, this was... This was probably on paper supposed to be the group that was the most obvious, right? In terms of, yeah. oh, you have two massive powerhouses that are very strong. It should be pretty straightforward who's going through, Spain and Germany. Whether whether it's first or second is kind of maybe up in the air, depending on obviously the game in which they play each other. But I think 99% of people probably expected both of those countries to go through. Um, let's Let's break down what happened in this final match day, Spain, of course, playing Japan, Germany playing Costa Rica. I told Rion before we started recording, I was a little MIA during this period because I had a hour long meeting or like an hour and a half long meeting basically. And I <laughs> couldn't watch it, but I felt my phone buzzing like every maybe 15 to 20 seconds. And it <laughs> must've been like an, Oh my God, wait, what, how was happening? All of that going on. Um, where do we start? You tell me where to start with this because it was nuts. Absolutely insane. Um, I, I think we should start from let's start from the Germany Costa Rica side, right? Uh, Germany coming into that game, basically knowing that they had to better Costa Rica's result or score a boatload of goals. And have a better goal difference than, uh, not Costa Rica, than Japan. Have a better goal difference than Japan and end up getting through um, in that assuming, way. Assuming Japan assuming lost, Japan by didn't the way. win. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, assuming that, assuming that Japan drew or lost and then Germany would still have to win either way, right? Yeah. Um, <sighs> All I can say about like this Germany team in these three games, like I went back, I said it at the end of the first game um, against Japan, and I tweeted about it that you know this sport is terrible. It's just like just terrible for the for emotions because Germany came so close to blowing that game wide open against Japan in the first half, hitting the post, I think twice. Uh, and coming close, like inches close from making that a 2-0 game. And then Japan ended up scoring twice in the second half to a couple like lapses, like mental lapses from the German side. And at the end of the day, that's pretty much the game that knocks them out, right? They played well against Spain. They got the, the result that you probably would have expected, a draw in that game. And they beat Costa Rica, um, 
<laughs> much more difficult than they expected it to be. Yeah, but... let's let's before you go any further, they <laughs> let's run through how the Costa Rica game specifically went for Germany because yeah. it wasn't as clear cut as they just beat Costa Rica. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I. <sighs> Germany, Germany, Germany. Hansi Flick. There was a point in this game where (laughs) Spain and Germany were both getting knocked out. Correct. Right? Correct. Um, Germany scores in the first half. Total domination of the game. The first halves of Germany and um, Spain's game against Japan were very similar. You know, Germany obviously were pushing forward a lot more because they needed the goals, but total domination i it went into halftime thinking like okay i don't know if germany's gonna end up scoring that second goal but they're at least not gonna be bothered in terms of the defensive side because they had the game fully under control uh but the game flipped completely in the second half for both sides um and from germany's point of view Man, I mean, they're going to come out of this tournament, as you said earlier, in part one, they had the highest XG of any team in any of these three games. Uh, also, in these three games, they put up like, 26 shots against Japan. Uh, I need to double check on how many shots they put up against Spain. Uh, it was 11, but yeah, that's a closer game, so you expect that. Yeah. And they put up 32 shots against Costa Rica. Oh, my God. <laughs> and and they allowed a total of 25 shots in those three games. So pretty <laughs> solid at the back in terms of, you know, chances <laughs> allowed, right? But, again, this sport is ridiculous because <laughs> they play their, their two best games in the last two I mean, honestly, they they could have an argument. They actually played the best of any of the, the teams in their tour in their group in those three games. You just take it on average, but end of the day, the loss against Japan is what ends up knocking them out, right? And I think that it's it's difficult to put a lot of this on Hansi Flick. I know that I, I said to you, you know, he kind of. That first game, he kind of got a bit of what he deserved with playing Nicholas, Nicholas Sula <laughs> as the right back. Yeah. And, and then he never did it again in either of the other two games. He yeah. learned that quickly. <laughs> um, and, and unfortunately, it was still too late. But um, it, it's it's really difficult for, I think, the Germans to take this one because they did play on balance very well in these three games. Um, but ultimately, I think what we learned again from from international soccer, from, from tournament football. The most important things, I think we've talked about it before, midfield, being able to control games, right? That's something that Germany was not able to do against Japan in that first game. And then I think the second most important thing is just having very solid defenders that don't make mistakes. I mean, just it's just purely a don't make mistakes kind of game. And they did that against Japan. And it almost cost them in this game against Costa Rica as well. Uh, it's it was the it was the biggest Achilles heel I think for Derby was that their back line was never something that you felt you could rely on to to win them games right or to or to make games very comfortable 
for them, right? So I'll actually I'll go a step further beyond just the back line of Germany. Um, I'll mention two things. Hansi Flick's Bayern Munich suffered immensely with uh, counterattacks and transition and defensive transitions. His Bayern Munich was horrendous at defending them because he committed so many numbers forward. Mm -hmm. I was really surprised to see that like continually be a problem in this World Cup because especially in this Costa Rica game, he started a double pivot, right? And I would have thought that that double pivot was literally to prevent that specific situation <laughs> happening, but it it largely didn't. And I think that, A, speaks to the control that Japan and Costa Rica had in that second, I'll say Costa Rica's second half, Japan's, I guess Japan's second half as well. Second half as um, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It spoke to the, more so the threat that they posed on the counter being so clear because in transition, Germany just had trouble turning. Like, I don't know how else to phrase it other than that. Like, that turning on the ball and getting back in, in defensive numbers was hard. And it's not like this team is like aging out of their mind it's not but I mean, their, their best player was was jamal musiala which you know, yeah i'm so disappointed that we're not going to get to watch him even more that's I a know. huge disappointment anyway, i mean he'll go, be go back on. in four years but yeah. i think the the thing here is basically that the defensive transitions from hansi flicks Bayern munich kind of showed in this game with germany knowing also that half this team is Bayern munich anyway but yeah the seven the, i think in the, in the starting 11. Crazy. I mean, then again, like Spain's midfield is Barcelona's midfield. So that, <laughs> yeah. it, they're, they're going to translate similar problems over. But I will say if we could shift gears towards um, Japan and Spain, I don't, I don't know. I guess Spain probably had the same problem, right? That, that Germany did in, I mean, Japan are just good at counterattacking. <laughs> they yeah. they really are. Yeah, I I think they're going to be some the Germans that actually do care about this World Cup because I think a lot of them actually are are really against it and they're not quite following it as much. But the ones who are caring about it and the players themselves are probably going to throw hands at Unai Simon if they ever see him in public. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> The goal, the first goal that Japan scores, a great hit. I'll give it, like, a great hit, a lot of pace on it. But it actually started with Unai Simon not playing the ball quick enough when after it had been passed back to him, basically playing a hospital pass for, for Balde that he ends up, you know, losing the 50-50. The and I think it might have been the same Japanese player that ends up getting the shot off. And it's not great goalkeeping. It's, it, it, it's, I try to, I try to really be on the nicer side with the goalkeepers because it's really difficult, <laughs> but, but the easy to say, but it's just like a better keeper saves that. That's, that's just kind of <laughs> how I you thought know, about well, it. What's interesting is Unai Simone, and this has, I think, been a topic in Spain as well, has, in the last couple of days, I was listening to Sid Lowe's podcast uh, yesterday, and he talked about this having, you know, spent a lot of time in the Spain camp, et cetera, that Unai Simone has kind of said, like, look, there are some keepers out there that are really good with their feet and really bad with the shot stopping, and some that are really good at shot stopping and not great with their feet. And it's 
basically up to the manager to kind of find the middle ground of what you want. And maybe we're seeing a Unai Simone that is right now not playing like he's great at either, unfortunately. Now, with that being said, that hospital ball type pass was also played during the Germany game. And yeah, what maybe it's us at a bird's eye view seeing this, and maybe he has a different view of it, but those balls are awfully close to being turned over. And I don't know if he sees something different in like, maybe there's a larger gap between the players or the opposition player and the ball and your defender. But time and time again, he's either not putting it right side of the defender to avoid the press, or he's just playing it to the opposition and a la Germany. And it goes horribly wrong. Like it did kind of against Japan. Um, I don't think he's going to get replaced as a number one. I, I would be very surprised if that happened, but it's going to be really, really tough if something like this happens in the round of 16. Cause I have to, I have to double check now who or what the, the standings also, or not the standings, but the bracket the bra- uh, yeah. looks like. Yeah. That's, that's the other side of it. Or, you know, you know, Hey, if we want to go like conspiracy theory, hey, maybe he was trying to help them tank so they wouldn't have to play Croatia in the round of 16 and then they're playing Morocco. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> who, who, by the way, will be very difficult in yeah. the way that they also play in transition. I honestly think Croatia, Croatia would have been an, a more interesting matchup just yeah. for them. But Morocco is going to be a problem for, for that team specifically. Yeah, yeah. You don't like the prospect of um, Hakimi running down the wing against oh, whoever's playing God. left back for, for, for Spain, right? So, I mean, look, uh, I, I love I love Balde. I really do. I think he's had his surge this season has been nothing short of a mir- like a miracle. But either him or Jordi Alba are going to have problems against the key. Yeah. Like it, it, it's yeah, it's not going to be easy. But <laughs> with that being said, um, Croatia do play, I guess, Japan, which is yeah, amazing. Um, I'm very excited for that. Spain, of course, playing Morocco. I think that's a good as transition of of any. Right to take us all the way back to Group A, and we'll work our way down alphabetically. Starting with Netherlands, Senegal. We talked a little bit about the Netherlands and their matchup against the U.S. Probably should be a group in which Ecuador <laughs> went through with Senegal, but this is a funny, funny sport, and it yeah. doesn't make any sense. And of course, it's Netherlands and, and Senegal going through. Yeah, um, like, like we said, you know, Ecuador probably feel they'll probably be more disappointed they didn't end up getting a second goal against Netherlands than maybe losing that game against against Senegal. But um, big, big props to Senegal to make it through this group without their best player at this tournament. Right? And um, now they go into the round of 16 and they play England. And I'm, it would be disastrous for England to lose this game. Um, I... I I think that Senegal might match up with them well physically, but outside of that, I, I think that that should be a game that England doesn't necessarily win comfortably. Like I, they, they can't win games. I don't. I don't think the way they play, any, yeah. they, they can't win games comfortably. But, exactly. <laughs> but a game that they should at least control for the most part. Um, and it's really going to be all about what Senegal can do on the counter because we know England just likes to keep the ball and use that as a way to defend, right? So 
Um, big props to Senegal to make it through. And, and Ecuador, very unlucky. Like, I, there's another world where they win against the Netherlands, and it makes that final group stage game even more touchy, right? So, yeah. um, tough for them. But but I, I think, like, overall, they were good. And, and, and I think they have to be pretty encouraged about how they, how they played in these games. Um, and, you know, they just came up short at the end. Absolutely. Yeah. And look, Ecuador did not, I, I hesitate to use the word deserve because I've talked about that word a lot, but they probably should have played better against Senegal. Um, I don't think that they, they did enough to, to warrant that uh, they go through at the end of the, I guess on the last match day, but at least they weren't Qatar. I'll just, I'll just say that much. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, Qatar came, but like eh, the first game was absolutely terrible, and yeah, who knows? It feels like probably nerves played a lot to do with that. Those guys were not ready to play the opening, <laughs> be the opening game of a World Cup. They were just That's tough, not ready for it. Um, yeah. And you know, they they showed more in their last couple games, right? Like, specifically against Senegal was probably like the best that they played in any of those three yeah. games, but. Yeah, this is not a – I don't expect to see this team in 2026 unless that region, like the Asia region, is getting more teams in the World Cup, which yeah, I could be wrong. They, they, they probably are because it's going to 48. So yeah. We were, <laughs> you I probably are wrong. All of Africa yeah. in, the, in, the, in, the, in the tournament potentially. Um, Listen, man, I'm just waiting until Ethiopia gets a shout, but we're a long way from that, so don't expect <laughs> it. Uh, well, I, I think, you know, end of the day – Netherlands, Senegal were probably the two teams we would have bet on to make it out of this group um, beforehand. But uh, Ecuador really, like, it could have gone either way. And and that's just kind of the unlucky beauty of the like, three <laughs> games. Two, three yep. games and who, the, who knows what the hell happens. Um, Knockout football is a blessing and a curse. Yeah. <laughs> Quickly on Group B. We know we talked about the U.S. and Iran, but England beat Wales pretty comfortably, 3-0, last game of the group. Um, two Marcus Rashford goals. Two Marcus Rashford goals. Beautiful. Like, he has three goals at the end of this uh, group stage, so uh, that'll do him a load of confidence. We know that's been an issue for him basically until the last few months. So, great for England to, to finish first in that group. They now, like we said, play Senegal. Um, and I think from the Welsh side, uh, I'm uh, as a U.S. fan, I'm still pissed that we didn't win that game against them in the first in the first um, game because they were pretty terrible all three games <laughs> of, of this tournament. They were they were terrible for almost the entire ninety minutes of the U.S. until Bell, you know, used the last. 3% of running that he has in his body to, to win a penalty. <laughs> <laughs> and and then they were terrible against Iran and they were terrible against England. So it was um, really disappointing if, from their point of view. If it makes you feel any better, the U S would still not have finished first. If they beat Wales, they still would have finished second. So all in all, it doesn't make the world of difference, but I completely hear your point. It's about the vibes <laughs> and the sensations, man. It's, it's just about that. Yeah. <laughs> Of course, of course. Now, Elias, to Group C, where we also saw a very, very frantic 
<laughs> last I mean whole whole game for 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 each side um between Argentina, Poland, Mexico and Saudi Arabia. That's how the group yeah. ended in order. Elias, I mean from the Argentina side obviously they were in a pretty comfortable position going into this game. They knew the win would put them through. Uh, Poland had played pretty difficult in their first couple games. They were they are dreadful to watch. They were pre- they were dreadful <laughs> to watch in all three of the they games. They were yeah. They were dreadful in every single game. It's a miracle they beat Saudi Arabia. But yeah. it was just an insane game that thank goodness we did not end up having to choose the second place winner because of fair play. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, I mean. Describe to me that second half from an Argentina point of view because they knew they had to score anyway, and and that yeah. took longer than they expected. And I think you have to start with the first half of that Argentina Poland game. In that Messi misses a penalty at the end of the first half, um, they had more shots on goal, shots on targets, shots in general, possession. Poland had zero shots on goal, like one shot total that first half. Like, it, it was a pure dominance from Argentina. And quite honestly, this entire game, Argentina against Poland, was Argentina's best performance of the tournament by like, a long shot. It was not even close. And I would argue as well it was Messi's best performance, with, I mean, even including the missed penalty, because against Saudi Arabia, I thought was one of his worst performances uh, in an Argentina shirt in a very long time. Against Mexico, obviously, wonder goal. And then against Poland, he was everywhere. And he almost started off in this false nine position. And at the beginning of the second, in the second half, McAllister scores a beautifully slotted ball that Chesney looked shockingly close to get, but like realistically no goalkeeper is going to get that. And from yeah. there, it really just felt like the game was in Argentina's hands. Like there was no point where I think anyone thought, oh, okay, well, Poland are going to get one back. Other than maybe one, like, pot- they, uh, one they didn't want one back. They didn't want one back. <laughs> well, they almost <laughs> they almost needed one back, right? Because yeah. you're looking at a situation in which, let's say, Messi had scored that penalty, and Argentina went on to score those two additional goals in the second half. Poland are out. Poland are out on not goal difference, because that would be tied with Mexico, but literally fair play, which I believe – can you define it for us? I don't want to screw it up. So it, there, there's six tiebreakers yeah. <laughs> before fair play, and, and I don't have them up right now, so I'm not going to go through all of them. But, yeah. but all of them had to do with goal difference, goals scored against um, the team that you're tied with, uh, goals in general, points head-to-head against the team you're tied with, and you know things that make sense, of course, right? And then the seventh tiebreaker... If we got to that point, which we were very close to, was fair play, which was purely count of yellow cards. And we got dangerously close to that. Um, yeah. For for Mexico and Poland's point of view, where it would have kept Mexico out if they were tied. If I believe if the game was 2-0 for Mexico and then uh, Argentina won 2-0 for, against Poland. So... Well, uh, Mexico Thankfully, won 2 to... Yeah, Mexico ended up winning 2-1, but if it had stayed 2-0, oh, it would have uh, yeah. it would have gone to that seventh tiebreaker. Yep. Which, which was, Mexico was pushing Poland so hard for that third on. goal. Yep. Yeah. So it's why Mexico Confusing. was pushing so hard for the for the for that third goal, but 
you know, from the just quickly sticking on the Argentina side before we move to, to Mexico, more Mexico and um, and Saudi Arabia. I wonder what was the big difference in midfield outside of you know Messi <laughs> playing a bit deeper. I wonder could it have been the guy who scored in the previous <laughs> match against Mexico and then played that beautiful pass to Julian Alvarez um, against Poland. I'm speaking about Enzo Fernandez, <laughs> who has had a fantastic first season in Europe, period, with Benfica after coming from River Plate. Yep. And did not start the first two games, but actually ended up coming in um, in this game and and starting and looking like an act, like a difference maker in that midfield and and someone that takes the burden off like some of the burden off of Messi from uh a chance creation point of view he literally looks like exactly what Rodrigo de Paul was doing before this tournament started that's how i would best kind of relate Enzo Fernandez right now and his rise through Benfica post River Plate even at River Plate to now has been nothing short of fantastic to watch so one of the things I was most impressed about with Enzo Fernandez was not his goal against Mexico, I mean, which was obviously outstanding, but I was much more impressed with his ability to actually find spaces that you would think playing one-twos with like Di Maria is where Messi would play those one-twos with Enzo Fernandez, or he would be in such elevated positions, but then would do all the pressing work, right? That some one member of the front three in this case, Messi, uh, would not have to do. It was the combination of both of those things that allowed Messi to play that free role, right? That almost false nine-esque role that we saw, especially in that first half. He was everywhere. And he ha- he has to start against Australia, without a doubt. Um, I was a little bit surprised, however, to see Paredes, once again, starting on the bench. He obviously came on the second half and made equally as much of a great difference. I wonder how much of a shout he will get for starting against Australia. I don't no, because I thought he was Australia or uh, Argentina's best player against Saudi Arabia, and then he got benched, and we've seen only maybe thirty minutes or so of him total since then. So I'm I'm very curious about that. Yeah, um, and I think from also like a, a forward point of view, I, I expect that Lautaro Martinez probably comes back into the lineup, but Julian Alvarez has shown again that, man, if they need a plan B off the bench, he's such a fantastic player too. Great finisher. And also, Lautaro came in against Poland and missed a great chance to make a three. And you could see he was just visibly frustrated. So I don't know if he will start against Australia. Yeah. Um, Quickly on the Mexico side, really tough for that. I mean... The, the the thing was at the end, even when Saudi Arabia scored, Mexico still just needed one more goal and they would have gone through. Yeah, and and I there was like a point after Saudi Arabia scored where the the camera flashed to Tata Martino and he's like holding up the the one thing. He's like, we just need one more. Still, like <laughs> nothing changed. Nothing changed about that Saudi Arabia goal. Yeah, um, but. You know, that, that's really tough way to go out. And Tata Martino resigned after that game. Um, not would have happened either way. Extension. It was, yeah, we, we knew that he was not going to be the coach after this tournament anyway. Uh, and I don't think that's as much on him. 
we haven't talked about it very much, but you know, the this is one of the worst Mexicans. This is the worst Mexican side I have ever seen, like in my times of watching um, international football. So there's a lot of work to be done on their side from like a grassroots up because they're just not producing players in Europe. Yeah, as and, much as they used to. And I think that go- that there's a much deeper problem in the country with being able yep. to develop the federation as well. Yep. Yep, and I think that in and of itself could probably be a podcast series, but we'll leave it that there for now, at least on that group, and should focus towards an ego, like oh, also wild group. Uh, oh, by man. the end of yesterday, uh, Group D: France, Australia, Tunisia, and Denmark. In that order, a lot of teams or a lot of people chose Denmark to certainly get out of the group. Um, not only did they not get out of the group, they finished with one point, and were probably the biggest disappointments of the tournament, quite honestly. I can't think of, of many others. And Australia somehow finding a way to beat Denmark, I guess it was the – I think I may be confusing games, but all they needed really was one goal with a fantastic finish, by the way, right, right outside of the 18, and park the bus and have a field day. Uh, after that, that's that was Australia's all motto throughout this. Tunisia still, I mean, impressively beating France, right? Don't downplay that at all. Um, they they certainly played a very very strong game. France at the same time though didn't start, you know, their gala eleven knowing that they were already going through. <laughs> Not so, even close. Yeah, nine changes, I think it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was it game. was significant. It was significant. Yeah, um, look, Australia. Kind of like the other side of of Germany's exit, which is, you know, outplayed for the most part in definitely in the first two games. I think Tunisia was pro- would probably feel a little uh, disappointed that they weren't able to win their game against Australia, and then you know against Denmark, really poor. Like Denmark was really poor, is what I should say. Like really disappointing. Um, a team that performed so well in the Euros last season and. I believe won nine of their first 10 games in World Cup qualifying, uh, almost finished it with 10 wins. Yeah. And beat France, it's, by the way, in that. And beat France that. twice this this uh, calendar year. It's really disappointing, how, like, how they played overall, right? Um, and it just feels like a very, very big missed opportunity. I, I don't know if they would have ended up – I don't think I would have thought that they could make a deep run, but making it out of the group is what's is what's really disappointing. Like not making it out of the group is what's really disappointing. Um, but yeah, now Australia, unbelievable! <laughs> like like great result, great result for them to make it out of the uh, group. Our, our our fellow soccer Socceroos. calling bro- bros <laughs> who who, <laughs> who like, are similarly called the sport soccer and um, and similarly in their own sense, you know, trying to fight to make. The, the fans of the game there are trying to fight to make it a more recognized thing because we know the, the biggest sports over there is rugby and cricket. Um, yep. So they get the privilege of playing Argentina now, <laughs> <laughs> which, yeah. will be, which will be a great occasion for them. Um, and France, like we said, they made a lot of changes on the last day and they ended up losing. They... Thought they were going to draw it, and then VAR pulls it back against Griezmann. But um, all in all, you know, they come out of that group stage pretty unscathed. I know they lost um, Lucas Hernandez, 
in the first game. But I, I think like we like I think we've said before, I think Theo is the better of the two. Hernandez you can you can anyway. put my name in you can put my name in there. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think he's the better of the two. And we talked about his dynamic with Mbappe, which could be really scary for the rest of this tournament. That that is one on the left hand side of their their attack is mm-hmm. probably one of the most potent pieces of this this French team right now. And true like I am scared for Poland in in seeing that. Like, <laughs> like, like I mean that very seriously. Yeah. That could be a yeah. very big problem for them. Either someone's getting a yellow, maybe red card, and France is scoring like three goals at least. Yeah. So, <laughs> yep. No. Um, yeah, we will talk about it a bit more after that game. I think what the interesting thing about that partnership is for Theo Hernandez. It's very similar to the role he plays with Milan, where that left side of player is Rafael Leao, and it's a very similar style of player as Mbappe, where they both like the overlapping happens a lot. So it's probably a very natural fit for him. Yeah. Um, so France will be playing Poland on on December fourth, and you know those are the two those are the two matchups from Group C and D, I believe. There, yep. Um, we already talked about Group E, at least Group. F, where we talked about Morocco already earlier. Um, they're going to be a big threat, I think, against Argentina. Or not Argentina, sorry, not, Spain. Yes, there you go. Um, and then, you know, Croatia plays uh, like Japan. Japan, yep. Which, you know, Croatia gets a good draw again in this in these World Cup. 2018, they got the favorable side of the, uh, of the tournament, and it looks like they might have gotten it again here. Um, yeah, we know we talked about how important midfields are, and that was where the whole point on Croatia being able to just have those three guys who are amazing. <laughs> but the biggest story from this group, obviously, is Belgium. Basically, the end of that golden generation. Um, at least, what are your and, and and specifically on this game? You don't have to talk about this game specifically. This game was really sad for them because the amount of chances that Lukaku is not able to convert in the in the second half, and um, he obviously took it really poorly after the game, and and it's, and it's always sad to see a player like falter at that specific moment. Um, but overall, like this Belgian team from this performance in this World Cup, and basically it's like eight years. This is basically the journey of this team. You know, what are your kind of thoughts about their their performance and as a whole, the generation? I feel like we shouldn't be as surprised as we are about this Belgian team. I, and I say that with the conviction of someone who did think they would at least make it out of the group stages or take it with whatever grain of salt you'd like. But this Belgium side while they performed unbelievably well in 2018, right? Give them their flowers for that. And still played and performed decently well in 2014 as well. It, you look at the starting 11 of this team, and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but the average age is at least 29. I, I would have to... One of the like oldest actually, teams, yeah. Yes, they're one of the oldest teams. And... The reason why I think that's a problem, especially in, in the modern age of football, is you're competing with teams like Morocco, for example, who have very, very, not just fast players, but very fast play. And that, I don't think, suits some combination of 
Lukaku, right? Or any one of their back line, quite frankly. So it was always kind of going to be a problem. And even Kevin De Bruyne said it himself. Like he was asked by a journalist, are you, are you favorites to win the World Cup or something like <laughs> along those lines? And he's like, no, we're too old. And in some ways, like that's maybe tongue in cheek, but he's sort of correct. Like the, the mantra of what he's trying to get at, or I guess that's the right phrase, but it is true. It is true. I, do I think this golden generation had an incredible run? Absolutely. Did we probably need to see them get out of the group stages? Probably with the talent they had. They very well could have with the amount of chances that they missed today and they being Lukaku. But at the end of the day, you do have to score those goals. And even if they did make it to the round of 16, quite honestly, I don't know if they'd go necessarily much farther. So, yeah. It's no, just, I agree. I, agree. No. I think the sadder part is, is Canada, quite honestly, getting zero points. But um, Yeah, yeah. Look, Canada's going to look back on that first game against Belgium where they were just oh, yeah. miles better and, yeah. and, and were able, not able to get a point in that game. I think the second game against Croatia, they were probably a bit naive after scoring that first goal, and they were so open after scoring that goal, and yeah. Croatia was just – slowed the game down. They knew they had the be- like they had better players overall. Their yeah. was much better and they just got picked apart by just quality, just like pure quality from from yeah. midfield and um and the final game today obviously they were already out, so it's playing more for pride than anything else today, but Morocco knew they needed to win to get through. So you're, 100%. Yeah. You're fighting you're fighting um a team that's at the end of the day more motivated than you. So um, just as thick on the Belgian side, though, you know, I, I a lot of people getting really like, I I don't know where this hate came for this Belgian team. <laughs> At least like on Twitter, like people are like really happy to see them like do terribly in this tournament. Um, maybe it's because of like the hype that they got, but they were genuinely at one point like a an amazing team, like this amazing talents. I mean, that- before the tournament, they were ranked what first or second. Second, yeah, yeah, and, and look, the FIFA rankings. I, ugh, I mean, they are like what the fairy yeah. dust, like, but, um, <laughs> but like this team itself, um, you know, we're we're like a, a a string of hazard injuries away from this still being a very very good team, and, and like that changes everything. But if we're just thinking about that run from 2014 to now, right? 2014, they was really their like breakout tournament like so when they their players were genuinely like at the level where they could start being like these dark horses right um and they end up making it past the US in in the round of 16 um and go out against Argentina 1-0 loss to a team that ends up making it to the final right we go to 2016 which is where I think the is going to be the biggest disappointment for them in this eight year span, because they end up going out to Wales in in the quarterfinals, uh, just when they were about to peak. In well, Kanu, yeah. yeah, yeah, Hal Robson Kanu just just going crazy on them, and then uh, putting Wales through the semifinal, and and that was a bad Portugal team that ended up beating Wales to make it to the final and end up winning yeah. the whole tournament so like that's that's the one tournament where i think they're gonna this generation of players are gonna feel like they really left something on the table uh, i think they i think they 
really could have won that tournament. But um, they they fire their coach after that, and then in comes Roberto Martinez, and in the World Cup in 2018, they play that unbelievable game against Brazil, which end of the day could have really gone either way. Like I think Brazil easily could have won that game as well, but they still get past that game and they end up going out to France who wins the tournament and Belgium ends up beating England pretty handily in in the third uh, place match. And third place is a, it's an unbelievable achievement. Like we're talking about Belgium here, right? Like, yeah, yeah. This is not. This is not like Brazil. This is not a massive country, right? With a with a massive football culture. I mean, they have a massive football culture, but like with a massive pool of players to be able to pick from. So, I think kind of like between that and then going out again to the eventual tournament winners in 2020 against Italy. I, I don't think that this team ended up fully disappointed. Like, it, like there was, there were moments of disappointment, of course. But oh my gosh, if you were able to tell me right now, like eight years from now, the the best result that the U.S. men's national team gets is finishing third in a World Cup. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm taking that. I'll take that with. I don't care if they go out in the group stage in two other tournaments from the, like outside yeah. of that. So, I, I think end of the day when they all kind of think about it and we step back and really think about like the achievement of how hard it is to do what they've done. Um, third place at a world cup for your golden generation, I think is a pretty great thing. It's really hard to win tournaments. <laughs> like, it is. Really it is. Hard. You have to win seven straight to win the world cup. Yeah. And that's hard in any context in outside of knockout football. If you win seven straight, that's a huge accomplishment in and of itself. So I I do hear your point. I think if you're sitting there as a Belgian fan and you're thinking through, oh, I'm okay with this team finishing third in the World Cup and then getting knocked out of the group stages in the next, if that was the U.S., let's say, this year, you would not be happy. You would, you would absolutely not be happy. I mean, you wouldn't be happy about the now. In the past, yeah. obviously, you'd be very happy. But I get your point. Yeah, yeah. Like you, you obviously wanted to crescendo in some way. You wanted to kind of, of build, course. which is what it did for for Belgium. It did build for if you're talking about 2014 to then to say 18, 2018, yeah. and then you know you get to 2022 where the guys are all like 30 plus, <laughs> and, and your the guy who used to be your best player is just a shell of himself, right? So it's. Um, I think end of the day they got they'll be really happy with like when they look back on it like maybe maybe four years from now, yeah. Um, in retirement homes, yes, yes, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the, at least the last two groups they play their last games tomorrow, so we don't have to talk too much about them. But um, big games for Switzerland, Serbia, which you know the uh, Albanian derby. <laughs> 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 You mean the Kosovo Derby? Is that Kosovo Derby? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah but, yes, uh, you know, part of me political jokes. See, part of me hopes we see that Albanian, um, the Albanian celebration. But you know, the other part of me is very scared because everything in geopolitics feels really touchy right now. So correct, especially yeah. in that region, especially in that region of the world. So. I'm dead. Yeah. Well, I think we all kind of expect at the very least um, Brazil to go through outside of that. 
I mean, it's kind of a toss-up between Switzerland and Serbia, in my opinion. I, I, I think it's fair to say Cameroon probably do not beat Brazil, but if they do, that makes things awfully interesting because mm-hmm. if Switzerland beats Serbia with enough goals, then they top the group and Brazil don't. <laughs> so everything is sort of up for grabs in uh, in this group stage. I mean, Brazil are guaranteed to go through, but, you know, never say never. Yeah. And then, and then the other big game, obviously, is the 2010 rematch <laughs> of the semifinals of Luis Suarez versus an entire country, <laughs> potentially an entire continent. <laughs> yes, <laughs> correct. <laughs> but uh, we have Ghana versus Uruguay, and um, the, the quotes have been coming out this week. Of, obviously, everyone's asking Suarez about it. And he's, you know, not taking any responsibility for what he did, and and for the most part, I, you know, it's kind. Of, I kind of agree. I the thing that I, I, mean, hated, I do too. <laughs> the thing I hated most about it in the moment was just his celebrations, the shamelessness of the celebrations, <laughs> yeah. and, the, and then him being like paraded as like a literal king savior after the game. That that was the only thing that rubbed me the wrong way about the handball. But um, it, look, this is going to be a very passionate game, and. I cannot wait for it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm equally as excited. Um, who do you think actually goes through? Because um, <laughs> really up for grabs are Ghana, South Korea, and Uruguay. I, I mean, if let's, let's assume Portugal at least draw South Korea. If Ghana beat Uruguay... They could potentially top the group, but probably not. I mean, the likelihood is very low. Um, yeah, don't need to Uruguay, goal difference, right? Yeah, and Uruguay have not looked very strong in this tournament. I think, again, nope. up top, they are absolutely struggling for goals. I yep. think a big part of that is just they're two very aged slash aging strikers. And I think in midfield, even they've lost a lot of 50-50 balls that I should absolutely it'd be <laughs> it'd be one i don't know how else to phrase it again so i yeah. think that's what um that's the the problem that they're they're gonna face against ghana because inyaki williams might tear apart if diego godin starts oh dear god that could be a problem <laughs> but i really don't i i hope he does not <laughs> yeah it, it'll be really difficult and uh kudos has been really good yes. um for ghana the the ajax youngster and I think the, from from Uruguay's point of view, I think that Betancourt has probably been their best player so far, and they're just still not getting they're not getting anything up top, really. Yeah, yeah this yeah. is uh, you thought that in a like, hey, maybe this might be like a fun. I love the idea of Darwin and Suarez as the, <laughs> as the two up top, <laughs> but I guess I probably would have loved the idea of it more uh, a Suarez that was actually mobile. And then Kamani kind of came in, and, and you know, his movement's nice, but he's not there anymore physically. <laughs> and yeah, this would be a lot more fun if either of those two guys were like at least like thirty-one. If they were like thirty yeah. or thirty-one, this would be a fun uh, partnership with with Darwin. But uh, yeah, you can't really rely on him to create the chances <laughs> himself, and no. and, um, and they are just not creating chances either. So. It's, it's well, the, the the likelihood is that this podcast will be out slightly before uh, these games uh, that actually get played on December 2nd, which is Friday. 
But who do you think goes through uh, out of these two groups? Brazil, Switzerland, Cameroon, Serbia. Um, take your pick. I think Brazil, Serbia. I think Brazil, Serbia gets out of the Group G. Um, and I think from Group H, I think we we get the standings as pretty much standings as is. We Portugal and Ghana going through. I just end of the day, I think Ghana just a, just can create more, and their yeah. defending hasn't been bad outside of basically the Portugal game, uh, which was a game that they end up could have they could have drawn at the end of it. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I think that's my two that go through from Group H, and then we Love get it. set up for um, potentially a. Uh, I mean, if things go really crazy, we we could get like a Portugal Brazil in that in the round of sixteen. That would be nuts. <laughs> I'm not ready for that. Let's <laughs> let's take it game by game. But I'm I'm agreeing gonna I'm gonna agree with you with Group H. I'm gonna disagree with you on Group G. I'm gonna say Brazil Switzerland go through. I think Switzerland are the more talented side. Serbia are just the more terrifying side as you know yeah. humans. But I do think Switzerland <laughs> are are the better team. Um, and I think that they will also just as well create more chances. So I'm very excited. And quite honestly, they barely lost to Brazil. I mean, very, like the what, yeah. free Casemiro shot? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I'll say. We're set up for, for a fun round of 16. I think the group stages have been really good, honestly. Um this this last this last match has been really really fun. So uh, yes, a hundred percent. Hoping that this continues, we get four days of knockout games from Saturday through Tuesday. Uh, yeah. So lots more to come, and then it just gets more stressful from there. So yeah. With that, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, that's all. Basically, our roundup of the group stages of the 2022 World Cup. We'll be back in a couple days after. We're, we're either crying our eyes out after the round of 16 or we're jubilant or somewhere in the middle. If let's say the U S get knocked out and Argentina don't, but with that, <laughs> we. we'll be back. In a couple, uh, well, you no will comment. be someone in the middle. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be someone in the middle. Um, with that, we'll be back in a couple of days. Enjoy as much as you can. Of course, the rest of the games through the group stages and to the round 16 as always go USA. And we'll be back. Talk to you guys soon.